Good afternoon. It is truly a joy to be here. Uh, it is a great blessing uh, that we are able to, to come together uh, in one way or another uh, to spend time praising our Lord, remembering His sacrifice for us, uh, and studying from His Word together. If these chairs actually reflected the number of people here, uh, they'd all be full. Uh, and we can be very thankful for that. Uh, the, the conditions in our country right now may require us over the next several weeks or even months to practice some level of, of social distancing uh, and, and of isolation. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about a time for embracing and a time to refrain from embracing. Perhaps this is, is a time to refrain from embracing, uh, unfortunately. But I want to encourage all of us not to let this be a time that we grow farther apart, but for it be a time to be a time that we grow closer together, that we use every resource at our disposal to be more and more a part of each other's lives. Um, and if we do that, if we, through times of crisis, can band together, can reach out towards one another, then when the time for embracing comes again, what a joy that will be. Uh, we could be so much more thankful for the relationships that we share with one another. But let's be cultivating that during this time. I want to talk today about the Christian in a time of crisis. I'll be honest with you, I don't like preaching about current events. Uh, I don't like the idea of letting the big stories in the media govern what we talk about when we're here together. Um, I don't want to be caught up in politics or celebrity gossip or, or the hot topic of the day. I, I want our time together to be a shelter from the, the noise and chatter of the world around us and a time simply to focus on what God has to say. What's important to him, not necessarily what's important to the world around us. But there's no question that God's word is intended to be applied to our everyday life. There's no question that God's word is living and active, and that means that it's relevant to the challenges and the trials, the temptations, and even the opportunities that we face from day to day. Uh, and God's word is not silent about the things that his people are going through right now. Um, and if there's anyone that we need to be listening to in the present crisis... Uh, it's not our Facebook friends, it's not the media, it's not the governor or the president or, or even the CDC. Uh, it's God Almighty. And so I want to invite you today to kind of lay down the constant stream of information that you're getting from, from the internet and, and from elsewhere and take at least a few moments, uh, and, and hopefully more than a few moments, just to listen to God, to let him speak? What does he want us to focus on in this situation? What does he want us to learn from the present crisis? How does he want us to live as Christians in a time such as this? I, I want to start by saying what this sermon is not. This sermon is not a threat assessment of COVID-19. We're, we're not going to talk much about how serious this pandemic currently is or may become. We aren't going to make any predictions about the long-term fallout of this. Ultimately, God alone knows. Uh, and if you want some educated guesses, feel free to listen to the, the experts. Uh, this sermon is not a health or medical advisory. 
Uh, if you want to know how best you can avoid getting this disease or passing it on to somebody else, uh, listen to the CDC. Uh, listen to your doctors, practice social distancing, take every precaution, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, this sermon, as well, is not going to tell you whether or not you need to physically be here at the assembly. Um, we've tried our best as a congregation to give each individual an opportunity to make their own judgment in that. And we, we pray that God help us each make the right judgment uh, in our own situation. And based on each individual's health situation, the health of those around them, their personal convictions, um, we want to allow each person to make that decision. Uh, but I'm thankful that there are many who are able to access our assembly from the safety of their homes today. And, and I don't want anything that I say to be misunderstood as a, a slight to uh, those who in love for their brethren are seeking to serve the Lord and encourage each other from afar. Uh, so that's not what this is intended to address at all. What this sermon is, is not about the physical at all. It's about the spiritual. It's about how we should think about the present crisis in light of God's word and how we as Christians should see it as, as an opportunity to shine God's light in the midst of chaos and fear in the world around us. How should we react to a crisis such as this? Um, this very well may not be the, the only crisis like, like this that, that we as Christians are, are going to face in our lifetime. Certainly, uh, this is unique uh, in most of our lifetimes to what we're facing now. But we need to be prepared as Christians. Any crisis, whether it be uh, disease, pandemic, whether it be war, uh, whether it be government persecution, to know how we as Christians should respond. First of all, Christians should have a faith that gives us peace. There's a lot of panic going around right now. Just yesterday, I heard that there was uh, 793 deaths reported in Italy in a 24-hour span, uh, span alone, bringing the, the death toll there to over 6,500. Uh, and so uh, there are a lot that are scared about what might happen. If that's going to be us here, even worse, um, and even if we're not panicking about the disease itself, maybe we're panicking about the panic. Uh, because not only is this affecting us uh, medically, but economically, uh, many are suddenly out of work for the foreseeable future. Small businesses might have to shut down for good. The stock market has plummeted, affecting many people's retirement packages. Um, many of the shelves at our stores are empty. It, it, you may have many different reasons to be fearful or, or to panic at this time. But as Christians, we have a faith that should allow us to be a calm in the midst of the storm. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to read in verse 23 through 27 here. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. 
And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What an amazing story that is. Uh, But this story isn't simply intended to tell us that Jesus has power over the winds and the waves of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This shows us the power that Jesus has in general over the winds and waves of our lives, uh, over any conflict, any trial or hardship that we face. And brethren, we need not and must not fear what the world fears. Revelation 21 and verse 8, when it talks about those who will be separated from the Lord for all eternity, topping the list, it says the cowardly and unbelieving. We need to make sure that in any situation, any trial that we face, that doesn't describe us. We need, because of our faith, to have a deep confidence, a deep peace that Jesus is in control. That any winds or any waves that we face, we don't have to fear, not because of our skill as sailors, not because of the strength of the the hull of the boat beneath us, uh, not because we're minimizing the seriousness of the winds and waves and say, oh, well, it's, it's just going to die down. It's not that serious. That's not where our comfort comes from. Our comfort comes from the fact that Jesus is in the boat with us. His presence and his power to handle whatever this life throws at us. Jesus is with us and Jesus is in control. And so, brethren, in this crisis or in any other crisis for that matter, let not our comfort and our peace come from the medical precautions that we're taking. Let it not come from maybe our youth and vigor that we think that we're not susceptible to to death from this disease. Let it not be from the stockpile of of toilet tissue that we have at our house. Or even convincing ourselves that this is all overblown and it's not as serious as the media says it is. That's not where our comfort should come from. Our peace comes from the fact that God himself is in control. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. We, we read this, uh, some read this together online uh, this Tuesday when, when we weren't able to uh, assemble together then. But in Psalm 91, starting in verse 4, we have these words of comfort. It says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. This is God's promise, that we don't have to fear. Whatever the threat may be, whether it be from war, whether it be from from pestilence, we know that we can find refuge in God himself, under his wing, in his faithfulness, as our shield. That's where our comfort, that, that's where our freedom from fear comes from. You know, what we're facing today may very well be unprecedented in our lifetimes, but it's not, by any stretch of the imagination, unprecedented in history. Uh, time and time again, the world has seen crisis, uh, crises such as these. Uh, you think about the, the Black Plague back in the, the Middle Ages. Uh, it's estimated that Uh, Nearly 50 million people died. Uh, Some say that as much as 60% of Europe's population died from the Black Plague. And what we're looking at here in our worst imagination is 1%, not even 1%. 
of our population. Um, and yet, I make that point not to say that this isn't serious. Because people are dying. Uh, I make that point not to belittle the seriousness of what we're going through. But what I'm saying is that with any crisis that this world has ever faced, be it a hundred times worse than what we're facing now, God is still in control. And if this did get to the point of black flag proportions, God would still be in control. And our comfort would not be from how bad or, or how uh, harmless this is. Our comfort is from the fact that our God has all things held within his hand. And we can find comfort in his faithfulness. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That doesn't just apply to when things are going well. It applies when you're trained, chained to a Roman guard, awaiting a trial that may or may not end in your execution. That's where Paul was when he wrote those words. And so we need to recognize, you know, we, we think that applying this passage is, is hard in, in day-to-day life, not being anxious about anything. Uh, we need not to be anxious about the Black Plague. We need not to be anxious about any crisis that we face. Why? Because God's in control. Because we can take all things before his throne. And, and Psalm 91 is not a promise that we aren't going to suffer. What Paul is saying here is not a promise that he's not going to suffer. He's in prison when he's writing this. But it's a promise that God's in control. And God does not allow his children to suffer needlessly. That we can trust in his goodness and his faithfulness. We just sang the song earlier. uh, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's where our comfort comes from. That's where our peace is. It's not a peace that no harm will befall us, but a peace that any trial we experience, even unto death itself, even the death of our loved ones, is fully within God's control. I I want us to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel chapter 3. You remember they, because they were unwilling to bow before this idol, stood before the king and before his fiery furnace. And if they were unwilling to cave in to that pressure, uh, it was unquestionable that that they were going to be thrown into that fire. And in Daniel 3 and verse 17, they respond to the king. They say, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I can't tell you today that none of you or your loved ones are going to die from this disease. It may happen. But even if it does, God's still in control. And that's all we need to know. Here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fully believed that God had the power to preserve this, uh, preserve them from this very real threat right in front of them. 
But their attitude was, even if not, we're going to serve the Lord. That's our peace, brethren. The peace that God gives us is more powerful than death itself. Let's shine that light of peace as God's people. But closely related to that, we can have a hope that gives us a proper perspective. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Here again, Jesus addresses this problem of fear among his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 28. He tells them, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Multiple times he tells us that we don't have to fear. And he really gives us kind of two reasons here that we don't have to fear. You notice there in verses 29 through 31, we don't have to fear because God's watching over us. Um, And if he gives his attention even to the sparrows, how much more is he going to watch over us, his children? But the other reason that he gives that we don't need to fear in verse 28 is that uh, what happens to this physical body is not what's most important. We need, rather, to have a spiritual focus, a focus not on our bodies, but on our souls. I want us to step back for a moment and try to put what we're going through right now into perspective. Right now, there have been 31 cases of coronavirus reported here in Allegheny County, a county of 1.2 million people. And the World Health Organization has estimated that the mortality rate of this disease is 3.4%. That means you have uh, about a a 1 in 30 chance, if you get this disease, of dying. Um, And this fraction of a chance that one of us or our loved ones might die has caused one of the biggest economic shutdowns in the last 100 years. It has warranted action by every government organization, every medical institution, every school, every business, and every household. And I'm not trying, again, to belittle the threat that we're facing. I'm not saying don't take precautions. Do take precautions. But I think we need to hear what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 10. We need not to fear that which can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear that which can destroy both body and soul in hell. Brethren, sin has a 100% infection rate. And out of the 1.2 million people in this county, there is not a single person of age that has not been infected by it. It has a 100% mortality rate for those who do not receive the cure. And it doesn't end in death by organ failure. It ends in eternal separation from God. If only we would be willing to take such drastic action in response to this plague of the soul. Can you imagine that for a moment? Imagine all that this threat of 31 people in this county having a disease that has a 3.4% chance of killing you. Imagine all that that has put into action in our society. How much more should we be thinking about the seriousness of sin? 
be striving to get the cure of that to the people around us. We, we ultimately can't expect that our government will have that attitude or that our news media will uh, approach the spiritual problem in that way. But brethren, we as Christians need to have that attitude. That's how we need to see the spiritual threat that we face. When Christians were being persecuted and killed for their faith in the first century, they didn't become fixated on how to avoid the threat of death. No, they fixed their hope on a life beyond death. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we're told that the the saints at that time conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Later on in Revelation 14, verse 13, says that John heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. We, we might think about what these Christians were going through and think how horrible, how horrible that these people were being crucified, impaled, burned, thrown in to be devoured by the lion. But you know what God says about that? He says, blessed. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Because their deeds will follow them. Because they will rest. We need not to fear death. And if any of the actions that we are taking, and again, I I think the precautions that we take are driven by wisdom and love for one another, but if any of the actions that we are taking are being driven by fear, that's not how it should be. We as Christians don't have to fear. We don't have to fear death itself. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Has anybody ever asked you a reason for the hope that is in you? Do you know why these Christians in 1 Peter were being asked for a reason for the hope that was in them? Because they were suffering. Because they were going through persecution. You read through the letter of 1 Peter and you see the fiery trials that they are going through. And yet in the midst of that, they have a living hope. That's why people were asking. We in this country have been insulated from so many different types of of crises. Um, From uh, the instability of of war and, and famine Things that in the ancient world may have been much more prevalent than they are, at least for us, in this country today. And yet, when we have a crisis like this come, we need to see this as an opportunity to show forth the hope that is within us. That the light of hope can shine in the darkness of chaos and fear and confusion that our world is going through. Do we see this as an opportunity? We should. We don't have to fear fear this virus, not because it's not serious, not because you may not die, not because it couldn't affect your loved ones, but because Jesus has conquered death. And we have something much greater awaiting us beyond this life suffering. But thirdly, we have a love that should give us purpose. 
John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Brethren, just as our faith and our hope should shine more brightly in the midst of trial, so should our love. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Here we see uh, a crisis predicted uh, throughout the world and among God's people. Here in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 27, it says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Do you see something odd about this passage? Here, Agabus prophesies that there is going to be a famine over the entire world, or at least over the entire Roman Empire. They understood the world at that time. And what, is, what are the Christians' reaction there? Are, are they running to the store to stockpile toilet paper? Are, are they running to make sure that they have all that they need for this coming crisis? Their reaction is... Let's get some stuff together that we can give to these brethren in Judea. It doesn't say that the famine was just going to be in Judea. It says it was going to be over the entire world. And yet their first thought was not, well, are my needs being met? Do I have what I need? It's what can we do for others? Brethren, that needs to be our attitude. Don't view this situation and this crisis as a time to cloister yourself away, to stockpile your groceries, to tighten your finances, and to binge-watch Netflix. View this as an opportunity to serve. Many people are searching. Many people are afraid. We have something that we can offer in hope and in peace that people around us need. We have things that we can offer in service and in love towards others. See this as an opportunity to share what you have. Go grocery shopping for those who are at higher risk and shouldn't be getting out. Check to make sure that others have what they need, both among our brethren and among your neighbors. Reach out and maintain contact with your brethren all the more in this time of isolation, that we might be drawn closer together and not drift farther apart. Make sure that those who may in particular be feeling isolated have somebody to talk to. Show them that you care. Use the extra time that you've been given for the Lord. You know, so often in everyday life, we feel like we're so busy. We have so much going on. Well, work keeps us as busy. And we often make the excuse, well, I, I just don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. Uh, and often our relationship with the Lord and our service for Him are the things that we kind of drop off in that situation. But don't view any uh, restrictions on on your work if, if you aren't even able to work at all at this time. Don't just see that 
as a trial and a crisis. See that as an opportunity. See it as an opportunity not to lounge around your house and enjoy everything that uh, you, you don't get to enjoy while you're busy at work. View it as an opportunity to take time for all the things in the Lord's service and in your relationship with Him that you've been saying you don't have enough time for. Spend time growing closer to Him. Spend time serving others. Reaching out and shining that light of, of hope and peace. Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, we read, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Brethren, that's our example. That we're not supposed to, to simply turn inwardly in situations like this. All the more in situations of trial and hardship, we should be looking outward to others. What we can do to serve their needs. This is an opportunity when much of the world is pulling what they have in close and protecting it for us to live selflessly and sacrificially and focusing on what we can do for one another and for those in the world around us. We have faith, hope, and love as God's people. Let's make sure that that describes us. God is in control. We can find peace, hope, and comfort in his faithfulness, no matter how bad this crisis does become. But it's up to us how we handle the crisis before us. Will we be fearful and panic like everyone else, or will we shine forth the light of God's peace? Will we drift farther apart in times of isolation, or will we band closer together? Will we use our time and resources in self-preservation and self-serving activities, or will we live selflessly and sacrificially in love for those around us? Though the coffee shops should not open, and there be no seating in the restaurants, Though the stock market should fail, and I receive a furlough from my employer, though the cabinet should run out of food and there be no toilet paper in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places.